Hi, this is Leslie in Alaska. Jordan, thanks so much for your service. Um, and thanks, Marianne, for asking me to speak tonight and uh, share my story. Very honored to do so. Um, want to say thank you to everyone on the line for helping me recover today. Um, and a special welcome and thank you to the newcomers. Um, they, I've heard it said that the newcomers are the most important people in the meeting, and I believe it because um, I don't get to keep my recovery unless I give my recovery away. Um, and I'm also, you know, always <coughs> struck by the courage of the newcomers on the line. Um, even if you don't speak and you just listen, you are contributing to the energy of recovery that's on these lines. And it makes a difference. It's definitely made a difference for me. So uh, today I have 439 days uh, free from marijuana. And that is a miracle. I never imagined that such a thing would be possible. Um, but it is. Uh, so I'm 55 years old and lived uh, about 25 years of my life as a heavy marijuana user and a marijuana addict. And my path with addiction uh, really started at birth because I was born into a family where, <coughs> sorry, where the disease of addiction was really active. I need to take a drink of water, sorry. Um, but I was born into a family uh, where addiction was um, active and had been active for generations. Um, my mom's grandfather was a heroin addict. Uh, my mom's dad was an alcoholic. My dad's mom was an alcoholic. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, and my mom was uh, definitely an Al-Anon. So like any place where addiction thrives, my childhood home was really dominated by fear and lots of anger. Uh, my mom was especially affected by anger, which manifested as these really scary, unpredictable rages. Um, but looking back now with some cover recovery, I feel so much compassion for my parents because much as I did, they suffered from the effects of the disease of addiction in their childhoods. Um, I think it was much worse for them, actually, than it was for me. And the effects of the disease showed up for them as adults, just as it has for me and my siblings. Um, my parents experienced lots of pain because of the disease of addiction, um, not just within themselves, but uh, watching other people in their family. For example, uh, my dad's mom, who, like I said, was an alcoholic, died by suicide. So our family was was devastated by the disease, really. Um, but despite despite the alcoholism and everything that went with it, um, there's a lot that I'm grateful for about my childhood. Uh, my my parents were good people. They were both very hardworking people. They were involved in community service their entire lives. 
my mom was a strong, independent feminist, uh, which was really unusual in rural Oklahoma in the 1970s. I was so lucky to have experienced um, that with her. Um, my parents read a lot of books, and so I read a lot of books, and that has made such a difference in my life. Um, my, my mom and dad weren't able to show me love. They didn't have the capacity to show me love by telling me they loved me or by giving hugs or physical affection or praise. In fact, they were really hypercritical. Um, but they did show me love in the ways that they could and by supporting me in the ways that they could. Um, I really wanted to be a musician, so they bought me an instrument when I was very young, and they paid for lessons um, really until I left home when I was 18. Um, and uh, this is amazing to me when I think back on it, but when I was a child, I really wanted to be a boy, and I was very upset about being a girl. So I decided I was going to live as a boy. I dressed like a boy. I only had boys for friends. I only did quote-unquote boy things. Um, I wanted to be a football player so bad. Um, my parents bought me a football uniform. You know, they just allowed me to be who I was at the time without trying to change it or question it or shame it. And that is amazing. And also something very unusual for anytime and anywhere, I think, but especially for 1970s rural Oklahoma. Um, but still, I didn't feel safe in my home environment because I wasn't safe. I wasn't safe physically or emotionally. And, and every day was entirely unpredictable, as are the days in a home where addiction is active. Um, I was really terrified a lot of the time. And um, so when I hit adolescence, I just became a holy terror <laughs> to my parents. Um, I started drinking um, around eighth grade, um, and I continued to drink through high school and some in college, but I never developed an addiction to alcohol. Um, my best friend, though, who was my drinking buddy in junior high and high school, uh, she ended up dying of an alcoholism-related issue uh, when we were still, we were just in our 30s, and that was that was very devastating. Um, but I'm kind of skipping ahead. So, um, but by the time I left my my parents' home for college, um, I had learned to repress painful emotions at all costs. I could not allow myself to feel vulnerable. I did not have the ability to do that. Um, I had that feeling of incompleteness, the feeling that I was not enough. I was filled with shame, um, and I was constantly seeking something outside myself to relieve that feeling of inadequacy and to make me feel better. Um, so I did that in various ways. Um, until and after I found marijuana. Um, I got into one relationship after another, um, all trying to make me feel better about myself. Um, and, of course, none of that was conscious. Um, 
I wasn't aware of the things I was doing and my choices, but but my choices and my behaviors were absolutely determined by fear and by shame. I saw everything through the lens of fear and resentment. I had deep, deep anger <laughs> and was in a constant state almost of reactivity. And so I had developed these kind of character um, defenses to help me survive in childhood. But, um, you know, they helped me protect myself when I was a kid. I had all of these little soldiers in my mind that were ready to come to my defense and to attack anything and everyone. Um, but they did not serve me well as an adult. Um, I was very arrogant. Uh, I was mean-spirited. Um, yeah, just to name a couple of things. And I was incredibly selfish, just uh, just unbelievably self-involved. Um, but I think, you know, probably most importantly, I was completely cut off from my own self-compassion. I did not have the awareness to see how much I was suffering. I just lived in this constant state of compulsion and preoccupation and trying to control um, the uncontrollable. And so the first way, I mean, I think addiction has manifested in different ways in my life, um, you know, through marijuana certainly, um, um, and through relationships. But the first way um, addiction manifested for me in a self-harming way was in the form of an eating disorder. Um, I developed anorexia when I was around 17 or 18. And then a few years later when I was in college, I um, became bulimic. And so I, you know, that was you know, my that scared little kid in me's attempt to control um to control myself, to control, you know, things that were happening outside of me that I couldn't, you know. I could control that. So, you know, I started the cycle of binging and purging, um, especially when something difficult was happening in my life that was out of my control. Um the eating disorder gave me the illusion that I was in control when in fact it was controlling me. And I remember feeling so much shame around it. And every time I would make myself throw up, I would say, this is the last time. This is the last time. And just like it was, <laughs> just like it came to be with marijuana, they were very, very similar in terms of the effect they had on their lives. and But the eating disorder quieted down a lot when I started using marijuana. And I started using marijuana when I was uh, in my, I don't know, I was like 27 or 28 years old. Um, I was in graduate school and I was going through a divorce and the divorce was incredibly painful. I was married to an alcoholic, um, a wonderful, wonderful man. He's one of my best friends today. Um, but I, you know, started smoking pot, and the marijuana worked magic in masking that pain. Um, finally, here was something that made me feel better. And I tried marijuana in high school and a little bit in college, but 
you know, at the time it didn't really do anything for me for whatever reason. And um, <laughs> also in high school, I was very judgmental about people who smoked pot, which is funny to me now because now I know that whatever I'm judgmental about is likely alive and well inside of me. Um, but once I started using pot, I just I completely fell in love with it, and I never looked back. Um, I became a fairly heavy user right away. Um, I started buying it right away. I got a pipe right away, um, and I started using it every day. Um, luckily, I had to finish finished most of grad school with the exception of writing my dissertation because if I had um, if I had started using at the beginning of grad school, I'm certain that I would never have finished. Um, and I went back to the town, it's in Washington, where I went to grad school. And um, there were so many pot shops, I thought, oh, I'm so grateful this wasn't here because I just, I would have been stoned every minute of the day all the time. Um, but I was able, I was able to finish grad school. Um, I was able to finish my dissertation despite being stoned quite a bit. Um, I'd done fairly well in school. I had won a couple of awards in grad school for teaching and for my comprehensive exams. But once I started smoking pot, all of that kind of thing stopped. Um, once I started smoking pot, I just did the absolute minimum of whatever I had to do to get by. Um, but after I graduated, I got a job as a professor, and I proceeded to get stoned every day, um, sometimes all day. I married a pothead um, who was actually one of my first husband's good friends. My first husband set us up, um, and this guy, also a wonderful man, uh, um, yeah, it was an it was you know probably an even heavier user than I was, but it it fit very well into uh, my life. Uh, most of my friends at the time were potheads. I was I was totally living this fantasy of functionality. Uh, I mean, I was a professor. How could I possibly have a problem? Um, and I was so delusional. Um, I was in a band, and I thought I was going to be a rock star. And aren't drugs just part of being a rock star? You know, I I justified my marijuana use in that way by saying that, you know, it's part of whatever culture I was in. You know, it's just part of being in grad school. It's just part of being in a band. It's just part of being a cyclist. Like whatever I was doing, I justified it in that way. Um, so uh, my pothead husband and I. Um, we experienced a, a shared loss, and it was very significant. And I went deep into a depression, and my using just then. I, then I was literally stoned from the time I woke up until I went to bed. Um, and my behavior during this time was not not good at all. Um, I had an affair uh, with the husband of one of our couple friends. Um, the guy I was having an affair with was, of course, also a pothead. And my second marriage ended as a result of that. And it caused, caused a lot of pain um, with that behavior and choices. 
Um, but around that same time, a very fortunate thing happened through the pot haze. Um, and I think it was totally my higher power reaching in and, and trying to help me out. But around that time, I had a calling to go to nursing school, um, which was a good thing because I was going to get fired from my professor gig because I was stoned all the time. Um, but I had to slow down my marijuana use during nursing school because I couldn't, couldn't be stoned in class. I couldn't be stoned while I was studying. I couldn't be stoned while I was working at a hospital. Um, but I still used as much as I could get by with. Um, and I did the bare minimum, really, in nursing school. Um, I loved being a nurse. I still love being a nurse. Um, but I'm certain that I did not live up to my potential as a nurse um, because of how much I was using. Um, so I got involved uh, with another alcoholic. Um, and I'm kind of leaving out a lot of relationships in between, but I had so many relationships with alcoholics and addicts. Um, but I got involved with another alcoholic who was a doctor that I worked with, and that that was a life-changing event for me. I mean, my, my life was on one course, and when that relationship happened, as a result of that relationship, my life got onto a completely different course, which eventually led me into recovery from my marijuana addiction. But as a result of, of being with that, that alcoholic, I ended up going to Al-Anon because he got, decided to get sober and started going to AA, and it became quickly apparent that I was crazy. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, he gently suggested a couple of times, maybe I should check out Al-Anon. And so I did that. And so that was 10 years ago this month. Uh, March the 17th is my Al-Anon birthday. And Al-Anon changed my life enormously. It was key in me ending up in Marijuana Anonymous because when I worked the Al-Anon program, I learned to stop blaming everyone else for my problems. Um, I started learning to take responsibility for my own life. And I learned from Al-Anon that 12-step programs work. Um, that program, I got so much healing from that program with, for my codependency um, issues. Um, my Al-Anon sponsor taught me a really good work ethic for the program. I'm so grateful for that. But when I asked him to be my sponsor, he told me that I had to do three things. In order for him to sponsor me, I had to um, go to meetings and share. I had to work the steps, and I had to do service. So I did those things, and they were transformative. I still use pot, though. Um, I had stopped using pot for, for like the first three months or so I was in Al-Anon, but I couldn't, I couldn't quit pot on my own, which... Uh, I was starting to recognize as a problem, but still in so much denial about it. Um, and I was honest with my sponsors, with my Al-Anon sponsors about it. You know, I told them, hey, I, I use pot. Um, but they weren't there to deal with my pot addiction. They were there to help me with my codependency issues. So um, like I said, after I got into Al-Anon, I could really start to see that I had a problem with marijuana. So... It took nine years from the time I started to realize and acknowledge that I had a problem with marijuana for me to really address my marijuana addiction. And I tried. 
repeatedly to quit. I did all the things we talk about in meetings to quit. Um, I'm like, okay, I'm only going to smoke on the weekends. I'm only going to smoke um, <laughs> on, on every other Tuesday or whatever. I mean, I did so many um, uh, you know, little tricks to try to, I'm like, okay, this is absolutely the last time I'm going to use. Absolutely the last time. I'll get rid of all my stuff. And then I would go around my friends who use, and of course I would start using again. Um, so, yeah, nothing worked because of an, an addict. <laughs> um, but I ended up moving to Alaska, and um, I told myself I would quit when I moved to Alaska. Um, and it wasn't very soon after I got on the plane um, in Alaska that I smelled marijuana on the street. That's the first time I had experienced that. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I, I say that it was, you know, part of every culture I was in. is absolutely a part of a culture in Alaska. Um, it was legalized here a few years ago, but even before it was legalized, it was decriminalized. No one cared if you smoked pot. It was so common. Um, it's the first place I've worked where I, you know, in a hospital where I was not drug tested. And I had a flight nursing job here. They did not drug test me for that. And I asked a couple of weeks after I started work, aren't you, aren't you guys going to drug test me? And my flight partner told me at the time, um, yeah, we can't drug test people. We wouldn't have any flight nurses. You can go back to smoking your pot. And I was like, whoa, okay, all right. So I did. Um, and I just ended up using more, actually. Um, so, But I did know someplace in my mind that I had a problem. So the more I used, the more shame I felt about it, which, of course, shame for me, it's one of one of the tools of my addiction. Loves to use shame to get me to use, um, you know, make me feel better. So um, that went on that way for for many years. Um, and but the last the last two years that I used, um, we experienced some life changes that I think led me to the path of recovery in MA. And I think my higher power was very much involved in, in those life changes. Um, we moved to Idaho to help take care of my husband's elderly parents. And I took a huge stash of marijuana with me. Um, but I was, and I, I was very judicious about using it um, because I didn't know where to get more when I was in Idaho. I was still using every day, but um, not all day, every day. Um, but also, um, I started working at a hospital that, that did drug test, you know, so I stopped for the three weeks or whatever um, before I uh, took the drug test, took the drug test, passed it. Um, but I also I was working in the emergency room, and I had accidentally taken home um, some kind of narcotic in my pocket, some IV narcotic in my pocket, and I really had no interest in that. So I took it back the next day and to turn it in and um, was told I had to take a drug test, and that freaked me out because I had been smoking pot. 
so I downed a ton of water um, between the emergency room and the um, um, employee health nurse's office. And it was a it was a huge hospital, so I had a ways to go, and I drank a lot of water anyway. So when I peed, my my pee was pretty much clear, um, just looked like water, and so I was really scared um, that I was I was going to get popped for that. And um, when the results came back, I think because it was so scared, I mean because it was so clear. Um, they had me do an observed drug test, um, and that was just completely demoralizing. Um, and so at that point, I really, I could not ignore my drug use at that time. I, you know, I remember in the middle of, you know, that whole experience, you know, trying to figure out how I'm going to pass this drug test. You know, how can I manipulate the outcome? Thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing here? Is this really worth it? What kind of and I realized then that I was lying to myself. It just came into my head. What kind of lie are you telling yourself? What kind of lie are you living? Um, so another thing that happened during that time was um, I started working as a hospice nurse, and being around dying people and death on a daily basis really prompted me to reflect on my life and what I wanted out of my life. You know, was I really going to spend the rest of my life in this pot-induced haze? Really? Um, and then I also started doing yoga at the time. I'd never really done yoga, but there was a yoga studio next door to my apartment. And I don't really know what it did. Um, but I know that something shifted in me when I started doing a lot of yoga. And one, you know, one of the things I think happened is that, you know, for the first time in my life, I, I experienced relaxation independent of any kind of drug. Um, and I felt somewhat at ease. And so I think that was, that was part of the shift. So, but we moved, when we moved back to Alaska after a couple of years, um, there were now retail stores here. And um, I live in a town of 6,000 people. There are two retail stores here. And so I started using again, um, and my use then was just completely out of control. Um, it it's like it had accelerated <laughs> in that small period of time in Idaho when my use was more controlled. Um, I don't know if controlled is the right word, but when I wasn't using as much. Um, but when I came back and started using again, you know, every day, uh, and the effects really started showing up. Uh, my brain would not work right. I would be in meetings, and I could not understand what people were talking about. Um, my memory was greatly affected. I had no, I could not remember what I'd done that morning, and all I thought about was getting high. I, I had this moment of clarity, and I remember, I remember coming home from work, walking straight to the cabinet where I kept my bong. I didn't even set my bag down, and just frantically lighting up the bong. And I still, I can still feel that moment as that was a moment of clarity for me. It didn't stop me from smoking, 
but my problem was so evident to me in that moment. And also when I started again after I came back, I started hallucinating, which really terrified me because I knew that there there's uh, you know some research that shows there's a relationship between long-term marijuana use and schizophrenia. So I was just terrified that I <laughs> was developing schizophrenia. But I had a moment of clarity that really that really led me to um, recovery uh, from marijuana addiction. And I heard someone say early when I started attending these phone lines, I heard someone say to never forget your moment of clarity. And I try to think of this moment of clarity whenever I'm tempted. Um, a yoga teacher I had posted a video on Facebook, uh, you know, talking about how she quit drinking alcohol one year prior to that date. And I cannot remember anything she said, but I was, as I was watching the video, and I was stoned when I was watching it, something, I heard a voice, which I now know was my higher power, say, you must quit using marijuana. And it took me three months after that to quit, and they were miserable months. For me, there was nothing worse than using, knowing I needed to quit, and not enjoying it. But I was terrified. I was scared. Um, I didn't know if I could quit. I couldn't imagine my life without marijuana. All of those questions <laughs> were yes for me. Um, and I was really scared, really scared that I wouldn't be able to quit. So I Googled how to quit using marijuana, and the phone lines came up. And um, the first time I called in, I was high, but I knew that I had found my people. And for the very first time, I felt hope. I felt hope that I could recover. It was so powerful, and I'm so grateful for it. So I set a quit date, and I started calling into meetings every day, and I called into as many meetings as I could. There aren't, there aren't any meetings where I live, um, but I would do as many as four meetings a day on the phone lines, and I had a job at the time where I could do that. Um, I got a sponsor I, on the phone lines also, and that has worked out really well. I started working the steps. And it was really one day at a time because it was very, very difficult um, in early days. I, you know, was angry a lot um, and crying a lot. And I remember, you know, just sitting in the bathtub sobbing, sobbing, and my husband saying, are you sure this is healthy? And I said, this is actually probably the healthiest I have ever been because I was experiencing my life for the first time in a very long time. Um, and the, you know, I was thinking about, you know, all of the gifts that this 12-step program gives me. Um, I am in a place of connection now versus isolation. I have you guys to help me every day when I need it. I have never reached out and someone has not been there for me. I may have to do two or three texts or, or two or three phone calls, but someone is always there for me. Um, I have started to learn to let go of self-judgment. I'm learning self-compassion, which for me is really key to my healing. And not only am I learning self-compassion, but I'm learning to do it while looking at my behaviors and coming to terms with what needs to change in my life. 
Um, when I'm able to look at myself with compassion and love, I can know peace and I can look at other people with compassion and love. Um, I'm learning to deal with my emotions and to experience my emotions. Um, for the first few months, I, I wasn't even, I couldn't even, I didn't even know what emotions were. I couldn't even identify what, what I might be feeling other than anger. Um, but I'm learning to deal with my fears and my resentments, and I'm learning how to just observe my mind. Um, meditation has become a big part of my program. Um, meditation is part of the program, like it says in Step 11, through meditation and prayer. And so I do meditation and prayer every day. I start my day with meditation and prayer, and um, it puts me in a very good place. Um, it's not to say that everything goes smoothly, um, because it doesn't. And there's a lot of the time when I'm irritable. Um, but I'm irritable and I'm sober, <laughs> which is far preferable um, to being stoned. I'm... The program has given me, you know, so many tools to deal not only with my addiction and recovery, but with life. Um, I have an awareness now that is such a gift. You know, awareness is, is my protector now. Awareness tells me when I'm lingering too long in self-pity, when I'm letting myself... Uh, you know, be irritated over things out of my control, when I'm um, dwelling in thoughts about using, awareness is there for me. Um, I'm learning acceptance, and acceptance is constantly in play for me. Um, accepting that I am a marijuana addict was huge. It was, I remember the first time I said on these lines, I am a marijuana addict, it felt like a thousand pounds lifted off my shoulders. Um, and acceptance is constantly in play for me. Um, I'm working step six right now, and I'm learning that accepting that my lack of integrity in the past does not represent who I truly am. Um, I can commit to let go of those old tendencies and those old character defenses. Um, I was really glad that someone did service by reading the, uh, the um, Our Awakening because the changes that are mentioned in Our Awakening are starting to show up in my life. Um, you know, it, the, that reading talks about how our relationship with our higher power can lessen the role of fear in our lives. And that's, that's absolutely the case. Um, when I feel fear now, well, for one thing, I can recognize it. I can recognize that I'm feeling fear. And I can just pause and say, you know, help me, God, or in some way make conscious contact with my higher power and ask my higher power for the next right action. And my higher power will show that to me. Um, if I don't feel like I can do the next right action, I can act as if, you know. Um, and if I don't feel like I have the courage, I act as if I have the courage. If I don't feel like I can be compassionate, I act as if I can be compassionate. And that works for me. Um, and, yeah, the spiritual rewards that I've gotten from this program are, like, the you know, our literature says really beyond description. Um, so every day I try to put effort into developing that spiritual relationship with my higher power. Um, that 
our awakening. It also talks about how um, we start to accept the unpleasantness in our lives and learn that we can grow from it. Um, yeah, absolutely. The program is teaching me that. It turns out that life doesn't have to be exactly as I want it to be for me to enjoy life and to be at peace. You know, I can struggle with something and still be at peace. I can be upset and still be at peace. Um, and the program has taught me that everything that is happening in my life is for my spiritual growth. Um, I heard someone on the line say that to me. Um, not say that to me. I heard someone share that. But it's like they're speaking directly to me. Um, and the reading also talks about how um, we become true partners with our friends and loved ones. And that's been one of the biggest changes is that I'm a much better friend. I'm a much better sister. I'm a much better daughter uh, to my mom. I'm definitely a much better wife. Uh, my husband has commented about how, how nice it is and I'm present for things. And that, for me, I'll just close with that by saying that for me, it's really, you know, it's hard to say. There's so many rewards of the program, but, but it, it is such a profound gift to be present for my life today, um, for everything that is happening, whether I'm enjoying it or not. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I can't describe it, um, but it is truly a gift, and I am incredibly grateful um, for everyone on the line, I could not have recovered without you. I could not be recovering without you. And I know I'm going to continue recovering with you because it's working for me. So I'm going to keep coming back. And I hope you keep coming back too. And uh, thank you so much. And with that, I will pass.